the key piece, and this is what I learned in Texas, was you have to work with every family individually and every child mm-hmm. to find a, 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 not a, necessarily a permanent, but a sustainable lifestyle. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, in in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial 102.9, here in the town offices, town administrator's office in particular, with town administrator Jamie Helen. Jamie, good morning. How are you doing today? It's always good on a Friday. It's always good on a Friday, and it's even better when we're going to talk Franklin on a Friday as well. (laughs) Well, we'll be here all weekend. We've got a bunch of events in town and uh, stuff like that, so it's uh, really good. We're hitting fall, and uh, as everybody knows, we're back into budget season. Back into budget season. Yep. It just, you know, keeps rolling around. Keeps rolling around. (laughs) It's hard to stay up in tune with, but uh, hope everybody's doing well and enjoying their fall seasons. Yeah, and definitely in terms of the business, uh, the Davis Thayer Reuse Committee meeting on Tuesday mm-hmm. uh, came up with the recommendation to bring to the council, and then certainly you mm-hmm. and Mark and others will work on an expression of interest mm-hmm. for the building and property potentially. So, yeah, I think the committee's had a bunch of discussions about uses. I think you know people have brought some ideas out that that they've seen on the committee, which has been great. Um, you know, but I think they've all. I, I think the committee's also monitored a, a situation of, of of how complex this is, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of go with the Rolling Stones, we're stuck in a rock in a hard place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think everybody. You know, there's a lot of emotions and there's a lot of pros and cons, right? Right. Um, there's a lot of feelings. Um, next year's Davis there's hundredth anniversary sure. of the building, um, and you know, there's some sentiments in town certainly around. You know, Dean College, there's some sentiments around town about housing, there's some sentiments around town of, you know, why doesn't the town do this? I think they're they're all realizing that um, the finances of this are extraordinarily complicated. And, I mean, I think that's why we do this, right? right. Um, people have come out and said we should, you know, this has to be a police station. Um, and as the consultants have been a bit of a buzzkill because, you know, you can't, People think, oh, wow, we just shove it in there, and, and they don't realize that a police station is required under law to have a whole series of security, um, um, structural security issues around it. Um, you, you, know, you just don't put a jail cell in somewhere. There's sally ports. There's, um, there's you, you know, uh, protocols that our, our uh, law enforcement have to use, so it's hard to, mm-hmm. to do. It's almost impossible right. without spending, you know, tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars to do something. Um, you know, even housing, right? I mean, there's a discussion, I think, that's been happening around, you know, knocking the building over and what the value of the land and the property is for housing with that, mm-hmm. or what about um, keeping the building and, and renovating it. And there's some... Um, to be kind of the Al Gore, um, you know, some inconvenient truths in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the committee made a really good decision to, to try to get that process started. I think what was good about what the committee's decision was is they're not now assuming that all these people out there are interested in the building. Um, if you're a builder, this is a hard project to take on. This right. is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. y- you know, and so I think 
uh, Greg Rondo had mentioned about the value of the property, and I think he's, I, I think he's definitely spot on. Um, it's only going to get really more. about the land. Um, nothing against the facade or the beauty of the building, but um, you know, once you, once, you know, once you lift up the hood, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we're going to see today and tomorrow, which I know this um, will come out or. The the weekend, we're having two open houses mm-hmm. and people will be able to go in and some of it will be a wax nostalgia issue um, which is wonderful and some of it will be curiosity of a lot of people have never been in the building before and mm-hmm. um, people will see when they look under the hood you know the building's structurally pretty sound but um, y- you know there's no elevators um, handicap access no handicap access yeah. um, when municipalities do projects we're susceptible to prevailing wage which is a 35 percent markup for um, for labor costs mm-hmm. um, over the private sector um, and so there's going to be a lot of uh, discussions around it but an expression of interest is what we did with the old south church as well as the Redbrook schoolhouse when you have these kind of awkward old properties that are for lack of a better word money pits mm-hmm. um, y- you know um, y- you have to kind of get out there and see what ideas are there and I think one of the most critical things with the Old South Church was um, we had the RF expression of interest out there for a while, and we were able to get WGBH um, to do a story on it. Right. And, and, and luckily, uh, through some outreach from <laughs> our office, um, you know, we were able to get Habitat for Humanity to come in, which is was was really a, a, a rabbit out of a hat. Mm-hmm. The public cannot expect that to just be always the Hail Mary pass and right. we, we land it. Um, some of these things, on particularly this, is not a Hail Mary pass. I mean, it's just a, it's just a lot of money. Um, yeah. Well, and so even if another nonprofit similar to right. Habitat Humanity or the one that's working with St. John's Episcopal for that, even if another nonprofit is available, there's still, that's a significant financial impact for them to even put in and yes we all need housing we know that whether it's senior housing affordable housing whatever we need housing but the the hurdles to that financially just amazing i mean everybody you know it's kind of a state of affairs of where we're at in society but you know everyone has their ideas of what their dreams are and and they just want to lob some other entity to do all the work you know (laughs) to use the housing authority as an example i mean it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, just give it to the housing authority and they'll deal with it. But if you're George Janello, Chris Feely, and, and Lisa Audet, you then have to do the, the math. Sure. You know, you can't just be an emotional reaction. Um, and if you think about somebody like George, who's exceptionally great and knowledgeable at stuff like this, you, you know, he, he's, they got to think about, can, can they make it work? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's just one example. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. a housing developer, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not all, but the vast majority um, would they, their priority would be knock the building over and give us a, f- a two, three and a half acre parcel to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dean College, same thing. Like everybody, you know, a lot of some people assume they'll just take it, um, but you know, on the same end, if you're the president of the school, you got to still crunch your numbers before you take something on like that and do right. your appraisals and right. and and so this is a process that's going to take a while. But I think the the key point for the for the public that's listening is the expression of interest you know will probably go out in the first part of the year and then you really will see you know what 
ideas and what interested parties may or may not be out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, a key step, and I was glad that the committee didn't wait necessarily at the end of the year to get that started. I mean, it gives us ability as a staff to start. Yeah, I think the timeline is a key one there because that was one. I think when this was initially proposed, they had a charter to try and bring a decision before December. Realistically, at that time, in case the building was going to be used for a police station, clearly we found that between the police department and the consultant saying it may not be enough space on the land itself. Certainly the building requires financially much more in order to fit it, especially even considering the Sally Port, which for those who may not understand, well, the Sally Port is this outside structure so that a, a police vehicle can come in and then safely and protect the individuals if they're bringing them into a jail. Where would, you'd have to put that outside Davis there. There's no such piece like that. And then the building itself requires, you know, the different levels uh, in order to, there's just a whole, it's a mess, unfortunately. It just, it just wouldn't work there. It's just, so. it's highly unlikely. And this is again, like we were talking offline for a minute, like the public is also struggling to pay their bills and you know the quantity of needs that are needed in the school district and for facilities and and throughout the organization to address the needs that people want um, you know, we have you, you have to be conscientious of the numbers like mm-hmm. you, you just you just can't keep wishing everything could happen I mean ultimately if the town were to keep Davis there and do something with it it's it's there's no question that a debt exclusion would need to be happened to raise people's taxes to pay for it. Right. I mean, there's just no possible financial way. Um, I know people love to bring up like CPA and all these. Other, you're not even you know. I, I could save money for 20 years on CPA and spend no money on anything else. And right. It would barely be enough to, right. to deal with this project. Yeah. I mean, we have to be conscientious of the dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. CPA gives us a good segue because last week there was a ribbon cutting to acknowledge the renovation of the exterior of the brick school and then next week, so people will have an advance warning, <laughs> Schmidt Farm has had a ribbon cutting to at least acknowledge the ownership transfer finally happening. Yeah, I mean it's, um, you know, like yesterday when I was at a MMA event um, for training aspiring town managers, somebody asked like, you know, why do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> which is a phenomenal question. Sure. Um, why do you do this? The CPA is a great reason why you do this job. Mm-hmm. You you take on all the extraordinary amount of BS because when you're outside a red brick schoolhouse like that and you see all the happy faces, um, you know, n- nothing less than Cindy Douglas, for example, who was the teacher there for almost 40 years and on the school committee and, um, you know, long-standing community member in this in this town and um, you know and, and to see the joy on people's faces of, of how beautiful it looks from the exterior and how well it's cleaned up mm-hmm. and as I said at the press conference this is the power of the Community Preservation Act sure. right? the, these projects were always second-class citizens to not a critique by the way no justifiably so you Absolutely. need to buy a police cruiser you need a special education van you need to fix the school roof you need whatever they are you need to do that stuff and there's only so many dollars, and so this is somebody who was, you know, part of the passage of the act, you know, 23 years ago, um, when I worked for the Salucci and Swift administrations, and worked in the office on community preservation. 
this is what it was all designed to do mm -hmm. is make sure that there are local options available for communities to set aside monies for these types of things and you know I um, you know I think it's really important to just step back a little bit and make sure the the public is reassured of how their money is being spent and, and why this is so important and you know as we've said before in the show it's a 60 40 vote um, yeah. as a percentage in the largest turnout in state in town history um, but when you do things like this people that voted against it um, have remarked to me numerous times um, how you know I still don't like taxes being raised um, <laughs> but I gotta admit like you know the money's being put really well used, and, right. and I think that's. I think if you did the vote today, I honestly believe it'd be sixty-five, thirty-five, or seventy, thirty. I think yeah, people are seeing things like this yeah. and going, "Wow, yeah. okay, I get it." Um, and the outside does look wonderful. Um, you know, all the brick was uh, for people that didn't know. For years, the town had just been painting the brick with red paint mm -hmm. to make which it also red, contained lead which <laughs> contained lead um, and so when people really were getting feisty with me I finally had to rip the band-aid off and say the whole building is covered in lead um, and for all those years that you had kids in there it was all lead um, so let's let's stop this this trend of cheapening out these quick cheap out ways to fix something that when I got here in Franklin eight years ago you know you know other than Horace Mann and the Ben Franklin books you know the first one of the first stops I made was at the Red Brick Schoolhouse people said you have to go over there this is the gem of the town da, mm -hmm. da, da. and I watched it kind of like rotting away thinking how is the town doing it how right. if this is so important why are we why are we not investing in it and um, ultimately I found I found out why um, the dollars and cents in town weren't adding up and fortunately um, the taxpayers and the council you know stuck to their guns and mm -hmm. passed CPA and, and now the sky's the limit you know right and now we're on to the cupola at the historical museum sure and um, that'll be the next exciting um, project which again, exterior people, visible one which yes. people have also complained to me you know what's taking so long why don't you just paint it we're not just gonna paint it um, we're gonna go up into it and make sure we restore the wood that's inside um, it's not just something we're just gonna do just to you know put lipstick on a pig mm -hmm. um, right it's not appropriate these these are these are these are buildings that need investment in them these are town assets these are town huge town assets and it's the story of your community. Sure. Um, I mean, it's the original town hall, mm -hmm. and we just, I feel it's very inappropriate to just keep on slapping up cheap, old, quick coats of paint to make it look good when we're not dealing with making sure that we're preserving it well long after you and I are around, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, right. you know, hopefully the next generations of folks, you know, somebody like Councilor Frangillo, just for example, you know, I hope when you and I are well gone, Steve, and, and Kobe's our age, <laughs> um, you know, he can look back and go, you know, hey, we, we, we did the right thing to preserve this building um, well past for his kids. Mm -hmm. um, right. Because it's a, it's a special place. Right. In terms of uh, accomplishments from a local business point, uh, I think certainly the introduction of the beer, wine, uh, distillery, bylaws a few years ago la cantina yeah. now 
with their expansion from the little kind of hole-in-the-wall place they had into the former Rossi's uh, mechanic shop, now legally has been approved in terms of the license transfers and their opening is going to be coming up soon. It's going to be a fantastic show place. It's going to be a great show place. Not surprised. Bob Vazella is a renaissance man in my view. He's, mm-hmm. um, I grew up in, most people don't know I grew up in Bolton. Um, and my first job in my life was um, picking apples at the Shoba Valley Winery. Uh, for those that go there today, it was nothing like this 30, 35 years ago. Right. Um, it was a small little shack um, with some award-winning wines. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a visionary wine person back in the 80s that started that, um, but but they didn't have, but they were limp, they did one thing, you know, it was the Blueberry Merlot and a couple of other smaller right. wines that kind yeah. of, um, you know, got on people's radars. And um, it was sold in the mid-90s um, to a gentleman who uh, you know, turned it into what it is today. I'm not trying to sell people to go to Bolton, but if you did go to Shelby Valley Winery, um, you should. Um, um, it's just an amazing place. They have a full, um, they have a full um, distillery in there. They have a brewery. Most people think of just a winery, right? Um, but if you go up there, the restaurant Jays, um, the tours that they give, um, the little festivals that they have, um, it's an amazing place. And and and, and Bob truly reminds me of, of, of Richard uh, Pelletier, who's the owner up, at, um, up there. And, um, as Mark had alluded to the other night, Neshoba Valley was the front and center of this uh, farmer series law. And I worked for the senator um, that got the law passed at the state, um, Senator Antonioni from Lemister, who represented Bolton. And um, it's just a funny, weird story that I'm blabbering now, but it was like, it was really, it was really cool to see what Bob's done, and, and when we started the, the um, distillery, winery, and, and brewery bylaw in 2017, I mean, I had always hoped we would have a brewery and a winery and stuff like that, and maybe a distillery. I mean, that's I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's <Right>. our jam. <clears throat> um, but uh, I never thought that we would see today, you know, looking back and seeing La Cantina where it is seeing Glenn Farmer where it is right. um, and yeah. and then seeing uh, 67 Degrees right. which still have grown immaculately too and I, mm-hmm. I still think for Olivier and his team I'm hopeful that in the near future um, you know I think this is this is a real huge economic development story for the town of Franklin. Oh, it is. I mean, Glenn We're, Farmer has <clears throat> been on Chronicle numerous times. They've yep. been on Billy Costa's show, TV Dinner. Um, you know, they've they've been on every news circuit, and Patrick is a and his wife Beth are phenomenal uh, people and phenomenal owners. And um, when I I mean it, um, as we continue to try to attract in and develop some business strategies, um, you know. La Cantina and 67 Degrees, and especially Glen Farmer, um, more because of the building that they occupy, um, these are real regional to state tourist attractions. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are things that we should be marketing the town off of um, because it does get people into Franklin, it puts us on the map, um, and it's awesome. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's going to talk about Tom Brady's 
recovery business coming to Franklin because I'm sure he doesn't want to pay Bob Kraft any more money. Right. And it's great to have TBR come to Franklin. I mean, we are very blessed that that, that business is going to come to Franklin too, and it's, it's a really sexy item. Um, but if you're really looking at, at attractions, you know, Franklin is in a position to really be able to talk about why you should come here to have, um, you know, your, your events, you know, your, your, um, your dinners with your family, um, and all sorts of artistic events, and it really puts us in a great position. So this has been something that's really far exceeded my expectations from when we did the bylaw. Yeah, it's really cool. we're one of the few communities that has all three, brewery, winery, distillery. And, and Bob's... This this license for him. He actually has two of them. <laughs> he has two of them, and, and 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 most people don't know this, but with Glenn Farmer, they have two as well. We yeah, we were right. very creative, and I give Gus Brown and the building commissioner a lot of credit, um, thinking outside the box and the ABCC. Sure. Um, where he has a, a venue, um, um, where there's some concerts and smaller events happening, and I know mm -hmm. that they'll grow into it a little more, but you can start to see how you know. Um, Despite what uh, Trillium and um, you know Hudson, you know I know everybody wants to talk about Hudson yeah, and all this stuff, Medu but Medusa. Hudson's got <laughs> one brewery, Medusa, who's by the way one of the best breweries I'm going. Right. But they don't have anything else. Yeah. I mean, we got the whole package, and not only do we have just like small people. I mean, these these businesses have really put millions and millions and millions of dollars into their infrastructure, mm -hmm. those sure. businesses, and it's starting to pay off. Yeah. So moving along to uh, recap some of the council meeting, I think the two key pieces that came out of that, one, certainly Jen Knight Levine from Safe Coalition gave her usual impassionate talk, an update, some stats shocking, and a couple of stories really were heartbreaking. Yeah. I think I would vote for her for president of the United States. <laughs> I, she just, I mean, obviously she comes into the room, she's extremely capable and captivating, but I came back from Texas, and I was saying this the other night, like, uh, I mean, truly, like, the, she just, I don't know how she knows all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I, I still have not gotten an answer out of Jen, if you're listening, I'm still waiting. How did you learn all this? I, it's amazing, her breadth of knowledge. Um, as I said the other night, everything I learned from city managers in Texas on how to deal with the migrant crisis in Arizona, at the border, California, somehow she knows all of this. If we didn't have her right now, um, you know, I think the migrant situation would certainly not be as, as, as uh, peaceful as it's been and as successful. Um, not just diaper. It, it's not just about diapers either. <coughs> And we know the town of Franklin's going to pull together to get the needs of these folks, right. clothing and stuff. But yeah. it's really about um, getting in the rooms. It's about knowing the families. It's about assessing what they're looking for and their needs. Because the only way that the state of Massachusetts is going to get out of this, if you will, um, is the key piece. And this is what I learned in Texas was... You have to work with every family individually and every child mm -hmm. to find a, 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 not a, necessarily a permanent, but a sustainable lifestyle for how they're going to integrate with right. um, with society in in the, in the United States. Yeah. And you know the, the politics of it are obviously extraordinarily rough at the national and state level. 
Um, and particularly at the federal level, I don't think anybody's happy with how Congress is acting right now about any of these issues. Um, but, um, you know, with the lack of leadership at the federal level and at times a disjointed leadership at the state level, you know, it's extremely heartwarming and proud to be part of a community that is not struggling to deal with this. That said, you know, Jen's uh, leadership on this has been instrumental and critical. Um, it never ceases to amaze me. There's no project that she can't do. Um, what was startling um, to me was also in her, her talk was not just about the amount that she's done to help people who are with substance abuse, but it also is, um, which wasn't really discussed the other day, which also shocking is just how bad the problem is continued to be. Right. And I think, I think we, we have to um, think of it as a tangent to your, to your list. Um, one of the other benefits this week that was also at the meeting and not just having um, Jen there um, in, in the SAFE Coalition was also the reintroduction of Cali Montegaro from the police right. department. Yep. Just so people have an understanding of what we're doing here. Um, Cali was with us for a while. Um, we had applied for federal ARPA money and received $250,000 to hire a mental health clinician for the police department. People can Google this on Boston 25. There's been since on Cali yep. uh, before about what we're doing. And really, um, we strap her on with a bulletproof vest. Um, we give her technology and a laptop um, uh, and some other gear. And now we have two mental health clinicians, and Callie is going to be the manager of the unit. We're actually creating a division in the police department right. to go out with police um, in the cruisers to homes where there are calls about um, substance and mental health uh, issues. And the goal here is to create a, a database, if you will, or a list um, um, of individuals who are deeply struggling. Um, that have family struggles, children, adults, anyone, mm -hmm. um, and to have as much of a coverage 24-7 as possible. We're going to hire a third person as well. Um, we're going to apply for another set of money from the county. And what we want is for three years, essentially a pilot of 2024, 25, and 26, um, to create uh, a division in the PD um, working on preventative uh, mental health services for families that need it. And the goals here are to obviously help families um, and also children, but also hopefully um, we can develop a system and model that shows that we can help reduce um, the runs to the emergency room, which right. we all know are over impact, <laughs> sure. and take some of these mental health calls out of the system, which if you talk <clears throat> to Milford or any hospital these days, mental health <clears throat> calls are one of the biggest reasons why the and substance abuse issues or why ERs are filled. And two, um, with a bit of luck, and this is a stretch, but I'm very hopeful. Um, you know, sometimes it may not sound it, but I am. <laughs> um, is to try to reduce some of the issues the school district are seeing. Sure. Um, you know, um, the school district doesn't create mental health problems. They are a recipient of the symptoms of health issues at home. And um, what we want to try to do is use Callie and her team um, to try to hopefully then do frequent check-ins with those homes, mm -hmm. do frequent check-ins, right? right? These are licensed individuals who have the ability to prescribe, they have the ability to um, uh, be able to work with law enforcement in the courts if need be. Sure. Uh, 
um, and other <coughs> other stakeholders to try to get um, individuals connected to where they need to go. One of the biggest gaps right now in the mental health system is it's not just the stigma, although I don't believe the stigma has gone away. No, um, it's still there. It yeah. really is about is about helping people who are so overwhelmed in life mm -hmm. get them closer to some sort of service that can improve sustainability and stability. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, um, and my hope is, is that um, we can start to invest. At the end of the day, the federal government is going to leave us at the altar on this issue. There's just no hope alive for the federal government to be able to help on this issue. Anytime um, soon. <laughs> I mean, I, I, sorry, I have zero faith in their ability to, no. to solve any of these problems. Um, and even the Senator Spilka, who championed this issue more than any lawmaker um, in 20 years, um, you know, I, I think still, even with her leadership as Senate President and doing more than anyone's done in two decades, I think she'll even tell you too, it's still not enough. Right. And I think what we need to do at the local level is deal with reality and mm -hmm. these problems are going to persist. So, so having that uh, night the other day was great. Um, obviously, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Frankie, the therapy dog. For sure. He does uh, uplift everybody's spirits. Yeah. Uh, but also having Callie back, she hates the limelight. It's not her jam. She doesn't want <clears> to <throat> do these meetings. Right. Uh, but um, you know, just having her back on the staff um, helps my mental health as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> and then for the record as well, the four police that were sworn in, those are backfills for positions where people had either retired and or moved on. So it's not adding we'd like yeah. to add we can't afford that this is replacement exactly. within the existing staff exactly exactly and um, you know as you can imagine it's taking a long time to you know we have a high standard here and you know a lot of people are struggling to find officers fortunately mm -hmm. we're not but um, when you go through the interviews and vetting of everybody and their character you know we want to make sure we're hiring right people that are hopefully going to be here the whole career so sure. it's a little while to do that but yeah um, we're now up to pretty close to near full staff mm -hmm. uh, people are seeing the police out on the streets the ones we added in the budget this year you know there's some, a lot more tickets being given out to mm -hmm. try to slow speeders down uh, enforce parking regulations better um, this is a big priority for the community as I've said many times before the number one complaint I get believe it or not is not always about schools or whatever it's really about people speeding right and the the, the the fear I think a lot of people have of just how reckless driving is going on so right. These new four officers are going to get out there. This is a note and a warning to everybody. Slow down. Take your time. Mm -hmm. Be respectful of our community. There's more officers out in the streets. Right. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, hopefully you can slow down and, and try to make sure your family doesn't get a speeding ticket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think to a certain extent it's endemic to some of the conversations we've had in other sessions where mental health is at the forefront and there's many ways that it comes up and occurs. Substance abuse is one. The schools, to the extent that they at least are the forefront, the kids come, they have to, then the schools are forced to deal with it. Through this expansion within the police department is now going to give the town a greater capability to deal in a unified manner with this and back to safe as well when I brought in the uh, area nonprofit network she's actually working it I know 
That's perfect. Jen? Jen? Yeah, yeah, Jen. Yeah, she's, she's co helping to coordinate within the ones. We brought them to the table. Everybody knows what somebody's doing. Yeah. Everybody has a piece of the pie, yeah. and she's bringing them together. Yeah. And it's it's perfect. And I just don't know how she has so much energy. I mean, I, I'm like, <laughs> Well, she's brought she's, in the team sure as she, well yeah, of but, like people. Like, I have a lot of energy. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I do. Like, I mean, but, but I always feel like she's like on a thermos of coffee every morning. <laughs> I mean, she's just amazing. We're we're very lucky, and I'm sincerely mean it. I if if I were in charge of this stuff, governor, I'd be putting her in charge of it. She mm -hmm. whipped this train right back onto shape. Um, not because she's just an amazing person, um, but she just really has a very deep knowledge of how to solve these problems in a very efficient manner, and in, in not trying to waste time and space on things that we think people need. Right. But actually focusing in on exactly what those individuals that are in front of us today need. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just her training from dealing with substance abuse. Um, instead of the narrative right. and the media's bu bullet yeah. points, let's talk to Jane and Joe and their mm -hmm. child about what this family needs, right? right? And, and almost doing a self-diagnosis. Uh, and so she's amazing. We're very, very fortunate to have her in town. So I think the taking the time, which is the key piece, taking the time to get behind the headlines, if you will, but and just dealing with the people, the families, the individual stories at that humane level, yeah. which in almost in her words she mentioned on Wednesday night, uh, I think it's worth repeating. Yeah. Most people, and I think you, you've met certainly a number of folks here, as I have, once you finally start meeting with them and then yeah. talking with them and having a conversation, yeah. kind of like what we're having here, things can change. Sure. But it takes time to build that relationship to understand what's going on and how we together can do stuff. People will read my, this comment the wrong way, but it's critical to understand while we want to bleed with our heart and make sure everybody's safe and okay over there and they have what they need, and, and I'm 100% for that. We cannot really turn a blind eye to the challenge, the long-term challenge, to your, that's to your point, Steve, the long-term and difficult challenge mm -hmm. that is in front of each one of these families to not feel as if the hotel is their permanent place they're gonna live. And as the governor said last week, the quote-unquote words exit strategy are in her, are in her frequently asked questions document. Mm -hmm. Like, we need to also have an eye and a pivot as a town, and as a, a task force, to also saying, okay, they need snacks, they need issue, they need clothes, whatever it is, but we also need to understand how are we going to get individuals out of a hotel to a more permanent and better life. Correct. This cannot be what we're aiming for. In my view, this is not compassionate. The compassion is great. They have a roof over their head. They're not on the streets. You know, um, we're providing them with services. At least they're safe, especially with the stories that Jen was bringing up. Sure. Which we read about in the newspaper all the time, too. Um, um, the immense trauma that people are going through, speaking of mental health. Um, and these are tough individuals, but I'm sure there's a lot of trauma behind it. Mm -hmm. But we need to find a purpose. Every one of those families wants a job. They want a purpose. They yeah. want to contribute. They are willing um, to do stuff. They realize how fortunate they are. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and, and by the way, um, 
very few of us in this community have gone through anything that they've gone through recently in the last couple of years as they've traveled from their homeland through treacherous uh, situations to get here. These are not people that are, are, are skillless. They do have a lot of skills. Mm -hmm. This is not just about um, doing laundry services and mowing lawns and, and stuff. Um, these folks have real construction skills. Um, they have real uh, healthcare skills. They can contribute a lot more to our economy and our job issues than just doing the dishes, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and we need to find out and get to know those folks at a deeper level. And, and this was the number one recommendation the city administrator in El Paso told us at a session in Austin a couple weeks ago. You, you know, you, you have to literally work with each family and get to know them to the level like your own community members to find out what their hopes and dreams are, what their skills are, what they can contribute, and then also work, work the refs to find a place in, that's sustainable for them. Um, everyone's complained about the worker permits recently, and, and that makes sense, but the federal government's not gonna fix this soon. I mean, if they do, great, Yeah. but they're not. And, and that's and only so one piece of the puzzle. Right. In the old days, Steve, you know, what did people do? They paid a bunch of people under the table. Sure. Right? Yep. Um, we, we've gotta connect people to places where they can get up in the morning and have and have a life and a purpose where it's just not sitting in a hotel room all mm -hmm. day. Um, you know, they're not going to learn English in a day either. No. But, you know, we need to connect the dots um, to be able to get to that. And I think Governor Healy this week, it didn't get a lot of press, but uh, I think Governor Healy this week at least, um, you know, has started to realize this where they need to start pivoting to another direction and go, We've got to set up some language classes. We've got to be able to get some other things. And you know, in Franklin, I mean, Felicia and Callie, um, and our and our ESL tutors are providing that. Sure. Okay. Yep. Um, we're doing the you know a little bit here of what yep. we can do within our capacity. Uh, we can't have a whole full time town staff down there, but no. No. but but they are trying to do these things, and I think that that's really important. Mm -hmm. so. It'll take time, um, but. The, the other key piece we can close with is just a quick reminder, November 7th is coming up rapidly, and town vote is probably one of the most important, even though it's probably the lowest turnout we certainly need for two reasons. One, to elect town council, school committee, all the other board positions, as well as the tri-county school funding. Mm -hmm. Ballot question is on that yeah, vote opportunity. I, mean, I always amend Mr. Nutting's one of his favorite uh, statements, which is, um, "Hey, you know, I work for I work for whoever the winners are. I work for the winners, you know. But mm -hmm. I've amended it to say I work for both. I work for winners and the losers. Because um, whether you win or lose an election, you know, You're still I'm here. still here for everybody who has a voice in town. Um, so I don't really get involved in any of the election stuff. Um, and then also on that, um, the town council." Uh, made a great decision to try to put the financing for the Tri-County School in that ballot too. So if you're a Tri-County parent out there or somebody who cares about economic development and manufacturing and all the skills that you get out of Tri-County Vocational School, um, you know, make sure you come out and vote um, on the 7th. The financing um, for the school will be on the November 7th ballot. Um, and then a cheap plug for November 8th, the day after, is a finance committee hearing. Um, and we will have the FY24 budget amendment at the finance committee that day. So kind of wrap up um, the, kind of wrap the rest up of the budget the tax stuff. rate. Yeah. Um, and so for those who are interested in the budget <coughs> issues, 
um, they should attend that meeting. And as um, mm-hmm. George Conley would be mad if I didn't say it, maybe November 8th is a meeting where we will finally have people show up. Because <laughs> I think George more has been than on me. 10 years. More than you, Steve. Yeah, you, I feel bad because I always say you don't count, which you don't really count, but you do count, but you don't. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, George always says, and even in these tight budget times where people are upset about things, um, even at the meeting in September, no one came. Right. Um, we had a whole other discussion about the 24 budget, and no one showed up. Um, no one commented. Um, and so hopefully we'll get a crowd there on November 8th so we can continue to educate the community about mm-hmm. the, uh, the budget issues. Right. And then I think just looking ahead while we're at it, uh, November 15th is the next council meeting, and then they have an unusual one because of the calendar and the timing. November 21st, which is a Tuesday before the Thanksgiving, is the tax rate setting. It's tax council rate meeting. setting. They're, they're bumping up a little bit because of some schedule issues. Um, it should be the Tuesday before Thanksgiving on the 21st. But mm-hmm. typically the tax rate from the Board of Assessors is pretty routine exercise. Right. It's, it's, it's not really a decision. Right. It's not really much of a decision to be made. Right. Uh, so the decision really is the, the 8th and yep, the, the 15th. 15th, because that's when you determine what the final number of the budget that's is. Right. That's the decision point. The calculation then just, okay, how do we do that? Just calculate <laughs> down. So, um, so a lot going on. Yeah, indeed. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Well, thank you for taking time today on a Friday before the weekend to talk Franklin. Thanks, Steve. And for a final reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin 